with anything that you do in, in, in life, not just athletic sports, my thing, there's lessons to be learned and you're be- and hopefully you're better at it five, 10 years down the line than you were when you started. Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Have you ever thought about hosting your own podcast? This episode of Clear Choices is brought to you in partnership with Libsyn. Powerful podcast hosting, the podcast hosting, distribution, and monetization platform since 2004. Use promo code CHOICES and you can get over one month of free services. Go to Lipson.com, promo code CHOICES. Hey, Clear Choices listeners, it's Super Bowl week, so we have a super guest for you, Sam the Bam Cunningham of New England Patriots and USC football fame is going to grace our airwaves today. Looking forward to this episode. Today we have Sam Cunningham, also known as Sam the Bam. We're going to get into that in a second. Uh, he's uh, He started his career in the beautiful city of Santa Barbara before getting uh, recruited over to USC. And he was a first-round NFL draft pick to the New England Patriots in 1973. In 1978, he played in the Pro Bowl. And he finished his NFL career, listen to this, with over 5,500 yards and 43 touchdowns. So, Sam, welcome so much to the show. Appreciate you being here today. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate being here, man. I hope uh, I can say something interesting to the people today. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can. I, you've, got a, you've got an interesting history, so I think it's unavoidable. And I'm going to start right with that history. Um, okay. Besides being a phenomenal athlete, and, uh, and, you know, playing at a high level at USC and playing at the highest level in the NFL, um, you know, you played in a very infamous football game uh, against Alabama. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, it, it, I got an opportunity to play in a, a game that turned out to be really, really historic. And, um, I mean, at, little, at the time, I didn't know how historic it could be because I wasn't a starter. I was just a backup fullback to Charlie Evans, who came out of Gardena High School, and he was a starter. The team I was playing on, a lot of the seniors had played on a really good 69 team that went to the Rose Bowl and, and played well and finished in the top five in, you know, in the college football polls that, that year. Uh, <clears throat> so getting an opportunity you know, to play in my first game, varsity game, um, my first road trip, uh, was exciting enough you know, to – I mean, I didn't really factor in who we were playing against and where we were playing. It was just the excitement of being a part of, of the Trojan deal and, and trying to help them win if I got an opportunity to play. So for me, you know, for, for I mean, over, of course, over 50-something years, you know, I understand what it was. But at that point in time, I didn't. If some of you listeners aren't familiar with this particular game that we're talking about and how significant it was, listen to this quote. It started out just a football game, Cunningham said. Over time, it became way more than that. It changed football. So how did it change football, Sam? Well, it allowed 
players of color, black players, African-American players to go to Division I universities. We kicked the door open and at the University of Alabama. And the next year, they had uh, Wilbur Jackson and John Mitchell. Now, Wilbur was already in the program as a freshman, but back then, freshmen were not eligible to play varsity. So they first started with two players, well, one player, then two players. And then over the course of that 70s decade, they won like three national championships. And, you know, I tell people all the time, I said, you know, we look at football now and and we see what it looks like. And, and a lot of what it looks like is a direct result of that game in 1970. Now, it's hard for people today to put that into, you know, just to think about that because they, you know, some of them, you know, they don't even know about the game. But but for those of us who were around in and played in it, you know, we understand how the game has changed and the landscape of college football has changed. So, uh, you know, there was a lot going on in that era, uh, you know, civil rights wise and, and just in America in general, you know, you know, we had the Vietnam war, we had civil rights with Dr. King and, and, you know, uh, the bombing of the four girls in, in the churches. We had put a man on the moon. President Kennedy was assassinated. I mean, just a lot of things going on pretty much like it is now. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. So Sam, let, let, let me ask you about that game. Uh-huh. The Alabama squad was a 100% white. Yes. That night. And, 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 and the USC squad, how many African-American players were there approximately? Uh, probably about 17, 18. Okay. And so, and what percentage of college football teams back then were segregated, if you will, like were all white teams like Alabama was? I would say 99% of the ones in the South, if you were a black football player and you wanted to play and you were from the South, you either went to the black colleges and played or you went to the Midwest, like Michigan State, you know, Ohio State, maybe even Syracuse, mm-hmm. or you came out West, you know what I mean? So it, uh, the majority of the schools in the, in the SEC, the ACC were white, you know what I mean? So it, and, and, and so was the big deal, was part of the big deal that you guys beat them? Well, yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, you know, it was the first time that they had played an integrated team. Uh-huh. And and it was the first integrated football game in Legion Stadium in in uh, Birmingham, and you know I think that you know Coach Bryant understood the implications of of the game. If if we won, it would help his program, and plus open the door for other programs to to get better, you know, and to stay better, you know. I mean, and you know, I I couldn't tell you what Coach Bryant's racial philosophy was or is or but I know he's a great football coach and he wanted great football players and there were a lot of great black football players that he was not able to get his hands on because of you know the powers that be that he worked for so that game helped him do that that's awesome yeah and it um and and you know it those people in the stands that saw that game that night you know it was about 60 70,000 99 98 percent white folks the game was not on TV. It was it was just played in front of those people. And, and it and it drove home the fact that, you know, they saw black and white players on a team wearing the same colors playing together. And if they wanted to continue their program and success to be successful, they would have to do that and step that way too. So so of course, you know, over time it did. It happened and and look at them now. You know, we <laughs> they're the monster. They're yeah. The monster. They are, yeah. They they destroyed they destroyed Ohio State. 
Yes, uh, so rumor has it, uh, tell me if I'm correct here, that Bear Bryant himself had something to say to you after the game. Is that true? Yeah, he 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 invited myself. We, You know, the one important thing I like people to understand that night, our starting quarterback was black. And in 1970, you know, how rare is that? That was very rare. Okay, but when I was in high school, my, st- one, my starting quarterback was black too. So in Santa Barbara... How amazing is that? <laughs> That's you know, amazing. So, so for me, it was normal. You know, I mean, and, and that, and that, you know, I mean, it doesn't, I'm not saying that black quarterbacks are better than white quarterbacks. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we went to the deep South with a black quarterback and I, you know, I get a large part of the credit for what happened, but Jimmy was a senior. He's, I mean, he started, no, he was a junior. I'm sorry. And he was from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And he started the game, and and he was a great quarterback and a great player himself. But when his his time came to get drafted into the NFL, nobody drafted him. So there were still some issues going on. I mean, yeah, the, the the game that night we played set some issues in motion that that helped improve college football, and it also set some issues in in motion that didn't help black college football. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it broke down the black college programs and it improved the Division One white programs in the Steep South. So, but Jimmy was our starting quarterback. Clarence Davis, who was born in Bessemer, Alabama, was our starting tailback. That must have been fun for him to play against Alabama. Well, yeah, and 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 you know, because I mean, they moved out of Alabama long before he became eligible to get a scholarship. But but if he had stayed there, he wouldn't have been able to play anyway. You know what I mean? But after that night, he would have had an opportunity to at least throw his hat into the pool and hopefully try to make it happen. But, you know, I mean, all things worked out the way they're supposed to. And I mean, if it hadn't if we hadn't won that evening, somebody else it would have came along and done it. But that evening, you know, we were blessed by the football gods to to play well and 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 win. And and well, they were also blessed by your 135 yards and two touchdowns. But who's counting? Right. Well, yeah, but, you know, I mean, it was pretty much easy for me because the holes were, like, huge. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so I mean, you know, I and I'm not saying that because they were not very – they were not good. They were just not as good as we were, you know. That's awesome. Well, I, I, I'm sure you're forever proud and your family's proud that you were part of something that, that played a role that was part of the cobblestone and the road to where we are today, at least with integration and in sports. But that leads me to where we are today. And I – I don't want to make this thing too heavy, but, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now in our country about racial issues. So I'm curious, you know, what your take is on what's going on today relative to this impact you had 50 years ago. And it just seems like we still have so much more work to do. Well, you know what? The thing about it is, you know, I tell people all the time, I said civil rights never ends. It never ends. It just morphs into this or into that. It could be black versus brown, black versus black, you know, black versus white. You know, it just it just morphs its way around. And 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 there were a lot of protests and and great men who died for what they believed, trying to make it better. Uh, and yet here we are. Yeah. And yet here we are. You know what I mean? And my thing is, is that I truly believe it that individually you try to make strides you know, in, 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 in whatever community or neighborhood that you're in, you try to break it down a little piece at a time because 
you know, for some unknown reason, there will always be somebody that pops his head up and takes us back to a time that we really didn't don't want to go to. Yeah. And, and, and change it, you know, and just causes a bunch of confusion. So for me, you know, I just try to treat everybody, you know, as I hope they would treat me as, as, as a person, you know, and then, you know, yeah, you're going to have some issues and whatnot. That's, that's there. But if you go in sincerely trying to treat people and respect people, then you get that back more times than not. And that's and, a choice. That's a choice everybody gets to make, right? And right. and that's you know, a choice everybody gets to make. You know, I mean, it, it is nobody up there on a microphone talking about, you know, being an asshole. Excuse my French, but you know, it is what it is. You know what I mean? And you know that that's I believe is the saving grace of society is that people have to sit down and think how they want to go about being a, a positive part of it. And and I mean, just like you know, you said that that was fifty plus years ago. Here we are. <laughs> there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of things that changed and were happening back then. And like you just said, here we are again. <laughs> well, you know, you 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 kind of said something that I say all the time is I I always say I don't see different colors and different you know religions and different people from different parts of the world. I just see there's either people that behave the way I want to be treated, or, or there's jerks. You know, I don't. Right. Uh, just how I see it. Uh, and I, I obviously I wish uh, more people saw it that way. Well, I mean, there are a lot of people who see it that way, but but we never hear from them, you know, because they're they're doing their individual thing. Right. But but, you know, for those of us to get an opportunity to have an opinion and speak an opinion, you put it out there and hopefully somebody else hears it and they think about it and they receive it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I really I appreciate you going down that road with us, because given the historical context of that important game. I, I really wanted to hear your perspective on what's going on in the world now, but now I'll, I'll pivot to lighten it up a little bit. So okay. tell me, how did you get the nickname Sam Van? Uh, probably happened my freshman year. There was a, a sports writer. Let me see. It was Lowell Schrader. I think he wrote for the, I know he, at some point in his career, he wrote for the, the Long Beach Press Telegram. And then there was uh, there was a great, sports writer from the Herald Examiner. I can't remember his name right off. So Lowell gave me the name Sam the Bam and the other sports writer took off the the and just said Sam Bam. And the Sam Bam stuck with me. And I have no idea why or how or unless maybe when we played our freshman games in the Coliseum in front of like 150, 200 people, it was pretty volatile when we hit each other because you could hear you know it wasn't a lot of cheers and whatnot so but th that kind of I got it as a freshman it stuck with me and, and it's been with me ever since and well I, I made it up in my mind not having met you yet before today I made it up in my mind that you were you know crushing through on the short yardage goal line uh drives and uh bamming your way through the in for the touchdown so I figured it was something like that well, it probably had to do with more of my blocking talent than than that because being a fullback at USC back in that era, you blocked a lot. You didn't really run the ball a lot. Yeah, I, I eventually got the opportunity to run the ball and you know on on short yardage and other down and distances, but but before that, it was just about the blocking part. And so it, you know the blocking was pretty loud and and physical as 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 we were. We were a physical team back then. You know, we didn't. We didn't, you know, we came right at you. We only had like maybe four or five, six running plays and however many passing plays, but, you know, you just overpower them. Yeah. We just ran student body right, student body left. 
And that was before I got there. You know, that was long before I got there. So we were just repeating what, what we saw and what had been successful in the, before we got there. So when you were a player, how, how did you prepare for a game? Like, what was your mentality? Were you intense and focused? Did you come in with a lot of anger and fury? Did, was it fun and loose? Like, how would you describe your approach to getting ready for a game? You know what? I had a niece. I have a niece, I should say. Don't have a niece. I like she's not with me anymore. <laughs> but uh, she she went to Cal State Northridge, and she she had to write a paper about that. Oh, and yeah? So I, had, I had to really, really sit down and think about it of how I prepared myself for games. And a lot of it was I listened to, like, music that had a real heavy bass beat. It was tribal. You know what I mean? And that kind of got me in the mood, you know. But I, but before I did all that, I, I was prepared. You know, I watched all the film and did all, this, all this, the, the stuff there. And by no means did I know everything, but but I was prepared for what was going to come my way. But, but just my own personal and emotional preparedness was, was done a lot with music and just hanging with the guys that I knew and who had similar mindsets. So for me, you know, I knew it was going to be a physical game. So I needed something that was, that would help me be physical. You know what I mean? And and it didn't take much for me to be physical, but anyway, you know, it, it that's, that's just how I prepared for games. And, and then we had a coach group. We had a coach named Mark Goop who used to put pep rallies on and those pep rallies got you pumped up are things of legend. You know, no, a lot of people, you know, there are some people who were blessed to have been there, but there are a lot of people who, if they had been there, they would be ready to go out and give themselves up, jump on the sword too. So it is what it is. So uh, aside from the obvious and thanks for that great uh, uh, description, aside from the obvious ways in which sports changed your life you know you became a professional and you made a, a, mm-hmm. a living and all the and whatever uh, recognition came along with that but how would you say sports changed who you are as a person how did it shape you I, I, i'm not sure that sports changed who i was as a person i probably was always this person it just gave me an opportunity to explore my competitive side. I tell people, I tell people all the time, I say I was a really good football player, but I was a really good athlete. Mm-hmm. And football was just a sport I ended up with mm-hmm. because I could play basketball, baseball, uh, run track, you know, football, of course, you know, and, and, and other sports that were not, you know, volleyball and all that. But I think my talent was that I was a competitor and I really didn't like to lose. So whatever sport I played in, you were going to get everything I had. And if you won, you won. And if you, you know, if you won, you won, but you were going to win because you were better than me, not because I just laid down. And is that, is that competitiveness still part of who you are now in business or in life with your family, et cetera? Is that still part of who you are? Yeah, it is. It is. And that's what I preach and teach to these youngsters. You know, it's hard to talk to millennials because they want instant gratification. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I tell them, I said, look, you know, you got to work at 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 what you're trying to be good at every day, not just two days out the week and figure that, you know, on Friday night it's supposed to work. OK, no, no, you got to work at it and be consistent and and be committed to the game, you know. And so for me, you know, it helped me in in my business. It helps me in my family. And, you know, the most important thing about it is that because of of, of my athletic ability, there's a there's a great legacy for my family that, you know, not only goes from my, 
from me, but it goes all the way down through everyone that is a part of it. And that's extended family too. So, so for me, you know, did I know where this was all going when I started? No, had no conception, just kind of just kept chopping wood and kept working at it and, and uh, got an opportunity to play at the highest level, you know, in, in high school and in, in college and the pro. So, you know, for me, I've been very, very blessed be a part of something special because of the talent that was given to me by the good Lord and my parents, you know? So it, for me, you know, I don't dwell. I mean, when I come at you, I don't come at you as, as an athlete. I come at you as just me. Yeah. Then, yeah. Then if you do your research, you go like the next time I see you and they go like, well, man, why didn't you say something about so-and-so, so-and-so? Because that's not who I am. I'm just that's, that, that, that's not the sole thing that defines you. Right. 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 So, so you've already given some great advice. What other advice do you have for aspiring athletes who might want to go on to play in college, let's say, or be at the top of their game in high school? Well, you know, it, it has changed a lot since I came through. But the one piece of advice I would, I would tell parents and athletes is parents need to, like, let their son or daughter be responsible for their career. Their path, yeah. Not, not just be all in it and, and mixing because – at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out, then nobody, you know, I mean, who do you blame? You know, not that you blame anybody. You know, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, when I came up, my dad, he, he gave me two rules. He says, once you start, you can't quit and give everything you have. Now, my mom on the other side was don't hurt my baby. Don't hurt my baby. Don't hurt my baby. And they just let me deal with it. it, it you know, they didn't, they didn't come to practice. They didn't do all that. They didn't do none of that. Okay. Now. Fast forward 25, 30 years later, I'm sitting at a JC game with my mom watching. I have three younger brothers, and 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 one of them is Randall Cunningham, who played 16 years in the NFL. And I have two in between him is Bruce Cunningham and Anthony Cunningham. So my mom had an opportunity to watch three of her sons, four of her sons, but three after me play. So now 25, 30 years later, she's like really pretty much educated. Okay, so we're sitting in at, at La Playa Stadium in Santa Barbara watching one of my brothers play for the Santa Barbara JC football team. You know, we didn't have a couple of beers. You know, I brought a little cooler and I picked her up. We didn't have a couple of beers. So she's sitting there and she's, you know, I don't mean to drone on and on, but she's telling no, me. No, you're good. You're good. She's telling me the story about my my one of my youngest brothers. She tells me exactly what he's going to do on this play. He does so it. So I sit there and I watch. And he does exactly what she said. And I go like, wow, ma. I said, you've come a long way from don't hurt my baby, don't hurt my baby, don't hurt my baby. She said, if I knew any better, I would have been worried about the other kids that you was going to hurt. <laughs> you know I mean? so, so, you know, she just, I mean, it's just it, with anything that you do in, in, in life, not just athletic sports, my thing, there's lessons to be learned and you're be- and hopefully you're better at it five, 10 years down the line than you were when you started. For sure. And if you aren't, then you haven't really been all in. You know what I mean? And so so for the kids, I try to tell them, I said, look, you know, at some point you're going to have to be on your own anyway. And athletics gives you that opportunity because it's it's a lot like life. You deal with disappointment. You deal with, you know, success. You deal with maybe you're just not good enough. You know, just just there's, you know, a whole lot of things. And then you deal with watching somebody else who's just not good enough make it. And you go like, wow, what, uh, <laughs> what just happened here? You know what I mean? So 
those lessons that you learn can t- be taken and used in your family life, in your in your in your work life, and 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 then you know if you want to mentor and 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 help kids or or just help people down the line, you can use them then too. So it's for me, it's been a blessing and been just an absolute enjoyable time to just give back. You know what I mean? Because because mm-hmm. I mean I only played. If you had all my years of playing, I played 16 years. I played, you know, that's high school and college. And mm-hmm. NFL. But I've had way more years not playing to be able to help and be a part of some really, really good things. And and all the lessons that I learned from those years of playing has, has helped me be pretty good at it. Oh, that's awesome. Just a few more questions before we wrap up. Um, one is I, actually not even a question. I wanted to share with you a quote. Uh, kind of touches on what we just we just discussed. And this is from Herm Edwards. Okay. He says athletics are a really key foundation of how kids' attitudes are formed and shaped. It displays their character. And this has to work alongside with the coaches and the parents. What are your what's your reaction, if any, to that? Well I think it's all it, it all comes down back to the team principle. You know, and, and the team principle is that, you know, as a parent, you want your kid to be better for the experience that he's gone through. And you cannot really manipulate that. You kind of have to let it happen. You know what I mean? And this is just my own personal opinion, you know, and, and if you don't let it happen, then there's always some yeah, buts about what could have happened or what may have happened or what didn't happen. And so, so for what Herm said is that it's not going to work for everybody, but there are things in there for everybody. That's right. I agree 100%. Okay, and and you you cannot ignore those things if you're gnawing on maybe I didn't get a fair shot or or maybe my son didn't get a fair shot or maybe my daughter didn't get a fair shot. You know what? It is what it is. It's like it's like learning how to cook. You know, you start out being lousy at it and maybe you'd be better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Are maybe. you are you a good cook, Sam? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. My mom, my my daughter, my wife asked me to cook something for her this morning. And then she said, well, you know, you changed up your recipe a little bit. I said, yeah, I use a little different cheese. So yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm glad you took off your hat. It looks like we go to the same barber. Uh, you know what? I'll I tell you a story how I, I keep my hair low. My, my youngest daughter, who is now 33, was diagnosed with cancer when she was 11. All right. So I told her, I said, well, when you you're doing your chemo and stuff. When you go in and you start losing your hair, you can come out and cut all my hair off. And so she went into the shower one night and she came out looking like Fireman Bill on In Living Color. Right. It just splotches all I over. I remember right. that was a great character. <laughs> so, so I sat down in the middle of the living room and gave her the clippers and she was afraid. I said, she, no, I told her to go back in and finish your shower and then come back out. So she came back out. I said, you can cut all my hair off. She said, no, 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 I'm going to hurt you. I said, no, just just cut it off and I'll finish it up. And so ever since then, I've always kept my hair low. How long ago was that? That was, well, she's 33 now, and that was in 19, probably 99. So 22 years ago or so, yeah. yeah so that's awesome. Well, I, I, I wish, uh, I, that that's a good story. Mine is just because I'm follically challenged, you know? <laughs> so, uh Couple more questions, uh, Sam. What did you do after football? Did you ever coach? Did you mentor kids? Tell us a little bit about your post-football life. Well, I've always, in some way, some shape or form, mentored kids. I never really wanted to be a coach because coaching is probably one of the hardest jobs on the face of this planet to do. Yeah, I've done it. It is hard. 
you know, I mean, and, and because there's more, God, how can I put this? There's only X amount of teams that are champions, but there's a whole bunch of them chasing. Yep. And it doesn't always work out. And it, and, and a lot of people are not happy sometimes with the way you do what you do in order to try to get your team or their team, you know, to where they're going, you know? So for me, you know, I had worked in that situation and been a player and, and my job was always to try to help coaches be better coaches. You know what I mean? But when my youngest daughter was probably nine, 10, she wanted me to be a the softball coach, right? Of the team. And we lived in Long Beach then. And she had a real good friend who lived in Seal Beach. So I told him, I said, I don't really want to coach you guys because you guys always want to just talk and social hour. I said, I really don't want to be bothered with that. I said, but if you two will promise me that you you would not do that and that you will be leaders on the team and, and let the other girls know not to do that, I said, I'll be your coach. So they said, okay, we can, we will. So so with my daughter, I had my, my daughter, I, another coach had to coach her because I just know my daughter. Okay. So you go over there and I do this over here. Right. So, but I had a ball. I had a great time. They learned a lot. And, and, and we started from square one, right? We started from square one. Cause you know, all my, all the, all the girls I had, I, I had two athletes on my team, my daughter and one other girl. So it kind of like, I had to kind of like really make some things happen. Right. You know? I know. I know. I've been there. I know that feeling <laughs> and have fun. So now I'm, I'm playing against a coach. He's coaching against me, not my team. He's coaching against me. He wants to beat me. And I look at him. I said, man, it ain't even like that. You know, we're just out here having a good time. And so we, you know, we win or we lose. The girls are real emotional until you give them the drink tickets and they go and they socialize. They be, do whatever they do. So that's as far as my coaching career is. Uh, but I've mentored, you know, I've done mentoring sessions with a lot, a lot, a lot of young men and women. And I enjoy that because they ask me questions that make me really think, you know, because their, their mindset is different than my mindset was, you know, 40 years ago. You, you, you never stop growing, right? No, you never stop growing. So, you know, and with that, I, I, I was also a landscape contractor. So, you know, I always like working outside and that's all I've ever done. So I just continued being out there and working with, with the dirt and whatnot. I, and I was a worker bee, you know, I wasn't like a, one to just, send people out. I'd go out there and teach them and whatnot. Do the work. Yeah. I was, I was pretty much my, all my mentors when I was growing up as a kid were teachers. So that's who I learned from and that's who I respected. And that's probably who, what I became. I, I would, I would get cats who work for me and I teach them. And, and by the time they left me, they could open their own business or, or move on. You know, it's just a matter of what they wanted to do. And I would tell them that, you know, I said, but the thing is, is that you got to be committed. With everything you do, you got to be committed. If you're not committed, then it's not going to work anyway. That is true of true of everything, and I'm sure you know you. Some of that was cemented for you uh, through through your achievements in sports. So I have one last question, Sam, and I really really appreciate your time. You've been a great uh, guest, uh, and that is Chargers or Rams. What is it? Which one for you? Which one for me? Yeah, really, I'm a patriot. How you go? How you go? But you, but you, you, but you live in you live in L.A. You got to You don't you don't root for the home team. Just Patriots all the way. That's it. I root for the Patriots, and if they're not there, this this is this is my whole this is my whole theory. People ask me this all the time. <laughs> I root for the Patriots, and if they're not in the game, 
Then if I know somebody, I had I had a couple godsons playing for teams. When my brother played, I rooted for Philly. I rooted for Minnesota, the teams he played for. Lofa Tatupu was one of my godsons. I rooted for Seattle. If I know people, I root for them and I root for them. Like like now, I'm, I'm rooting for Brady because I like Brady. You know, I'm not an NFC guy, but I root for Brady. Now, when if they lose today, the then I root for the AFC. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only conference that I played in. I see. At the end of the day, it comes down to that or somebody, me knowing somebody on the team that I have plenty of respect. For. Well, I, I, I identify with that because I grew up in Oregon where there's no team. Right. So so Justin Herbert, who played at Oregon, yeah. is now the quarterback for the Chargers. So all of a sudden, I'm rooting for the Chargers. Great young player. Great yeah. young player. I mean, you know, he he uh, he got put on the hot seat like real quick. Real you, quick. You're you getting ready to play like right now. What? <laughs> and he, and he, he better get the rookie of the year. He looked good. Yeah. yeah he, 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 it was fun watching him play. And, you know, I'm just glad. I'm just glad there's football back in Southern California. I yeah, really, for sure. And, you know, I've, I've never really been a Ram fan. And, and I tell people because it's their uniforms were dull back in the day. White and blue. Man, we a white and blue uniform. Come on, man. You know. And the Chargers, I always liked the Chargers because of their baby blue. And the and the and the lightning bolts were good. Yeah, and the lightning bolts. I right. like the pair the Patriots old helmets with the the Patriot on the side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pat it's called Pat the Patriot. Yeah, he he, you know, they should go back to that, but I'm sure they're not. Because the new guy, I call the new guy Elvis, if you look at the sideburns. <laughs> yeah, he does have I know I've noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh but I mean, you know, this this is the first time that they haven't been in the playoffs in almost 20 years. So for me, I mean, people used to get mad, you know, you know, at us winning, but they they had to respect us. I said, well, look, man, I said, don't worry about it. At some point, we're gonna be just like the rest of you nuts. <laughs> not knowing if we're gonna get to the playoffs or not. Praying, praying for the playoffs. Yes, and, and here we are. So, so, but you know, for the, they had a, an unbelievable run. We, you know, back in our day, we we put together a little bitty run, not a not a big run like them, but but was, uh, was Plunkett ever your quarterback? I, my first, my rookie year, Plunkett was my quarterback. Yeah, he was he was a great guy. He was a great player. Plunkett was. Uh, I I tell you a story about Plunkett. This is this is like really crazy. Sure. Every Monday we'd have a walkthrough. It wasn't like a real hard practice. So, and I would get him, and from about twenty five yards out, I'd say, "Man, I'm bet you like you know and." Like twenty five to fifty dollars was big money back in that day. Sure, I don't bet you fifty dollars that you can't hit the goalpost support eight out of ten times. Okay, and it was it was far back, and this is without the pad. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he would every week he'd miss the first two on purpose. <laughs> and bang, 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 bang! Hit you know. I mean, how many times did you have to pay him? I had to pay him the whole all the whole season. <laughs> I mean, never, I never want any money. I'm going on the, I'm going on the odds of the deal. So then, you know, I'd go up and give him the money, and every time he sent me, he says, he says, that's why I went to Stanford, and you went to USC. <laughs> I said, oh man, you go like that, bro. <laughs> well, I have to say, I don't know if it has anything to do with the school, but like if, after you lose three times, I might have given up after that. <laughs> The law of averages will go come back and help me out, but I well, was, you know, you you did the team a favor because you made him more accurate, so it helped you guys win more games. Oh man, he was a great he was a great person, great yeah. person, great quarterback. Just got with the wrong team. You know, Heisman Trophy winners have a tendency to go with teams that are not very good, and they either 
I mean, I think they 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 survive better now than they did back then. You know, when I got there, he was just a hot mess because he didn't have a good offensive line. He had nothing. Just getting tackled all over the oh, place. Man, he was he was a scrambler, and he you know he couldn't run. You know he couldn't run, but but uh, it was fun just getting a chance to play with him and and meeting him and knowing him and and you know because he beat us at SC. He beat us uh, two years ago to Rose Bowl. That was that was probably pretty rare back then for Stanford yeah. to be beating USC. Well, no, no, it wasn't. We I tell people all the time we have problems with the teams today that we have problems with teams forty years ago. Stanford, Cal, Oregon, even Oregon State when we play. So it is. It really hasn't changed. It's just that people, if you're a historian of of SC football, you understand that. But most people don't. They just think you're supposed to go in there and just blow out everybody. Well, it doesn't work like that. They it doesn't got work too. They they want to play too for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sam, I've so enjoyed this and can do it for another hour, but I want to be respectful of your time and that of our listeners. Appreciate you coming to the show today. You've got a great message. You've got great energy. Loved having you here. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Clear Choices. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.